welcome. You are now on scene with the LEO Sideshow, the one and only podcast that opens the discussions about what police do and why they do it. We are bringing a fresh new look on the relationship between the police and the public. Now for the part in our show where we must give you a legal disclaimer. Spoiler alert, people in the United States sue other people for just about anything. So therefore, the topics being discussed in the LEO Sideshow are merely the opinions of the hosts and their guests. These topics and discussions are in no way intended to be legal advice for your specific area or incident. Please consult with your local attorney or your local district attorney's office or your local police department for your specific laws and ordinances in your jurisdiction. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is noble in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against the sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. Alright, hi and welcome to the LEO Sideshow. I'm Frank. And I'm Patrick. And that was our friend and partner, Remington. He works with us. He used to be on the drama team. And when he heard that we had a little bit of Shakespearean action going on, he volunteered to play the part of Hamlet and give that iconic speech that we all know and love. Thanks, Remy. And we are pleased to be streaming our second episode titled, Shakespeare Had a Permit to Carry? We are going to be discussing whether or not it is prudent to carry a concealed firearm, whether you're off-duty, whether you're a citizen of the United States that just want to be safe and carry a firearm in public, and more specifically, when is it appropriate and when is it not really appropriate to be carrying off uh, out and about. So, to carry or not to carry, that is the question. Some of us know that this, uh, this common quip, but really don't know that it comes from a Shakespearean play, Hamlet, writ- uh, written by Shakespeare many years ago. I guess, what, what are we talking here? How many years? Oh, jeez. Like 500? Five, <laughs> I am no Shakespearean historian. <laughs> okay. Anyway, a very dumbed down layman's terms of what Hamlet is talking about here is he's basically saying how we all are victims of our fortune and we're victims of society unless we take action uh, so that we are not a victim. Now, Hamlet takes this one step further and actually talks about suicide and we're not going to go into that today, but we're going to talk about having a proactive approach and that's why we're going to talk about carrying a firearm. So, before we do that, We'd like to do our police word of the day. Patrick, yes. what do we have? Yeah, so uh, every episode we have a police word of the day. Uh, today's word actually applies to the overall theme, and it is concealed. Concealed, C-O-N-C-E-A-L-E-D. So uh, taken from uh, the Webster, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, uh, the definition is kept out of sight or hidden from view. Okay, so when we're talking about firearms, we're talking about concealed. We're talking about how how do we define whether or not a firearm is concealed? Uh, they call it a concealed carry permit. Uh, 
and we're going to get into what states are required to do that and how that applies to carrying a firearm. Uh, but concealed can actually be used more in the general term of policing, as in people will try to conceal items within their person. Uh, layman's terms means kind of hide it, but conceal also goes with the, the saying that the item may not have been hidden upon first interaction, but upon sight of police, you know, the item could have been concealed or hidden, hidden in a compartment of a vehicle, hidden somewhere on their person. And what I mean by person is their clothing, uh, somewhere on their body, you know, uh, and, and rare instances somewhere in the orifices of their body that you never thought we'd have to look for. So, uh, but yeah, well, I mean, this is, uh, this is good for anybody because you need to know what concealed is because certain states have laws to where if it's placed out of sight on you or in your car, that potentially is breaking the law. More specifically, how it relates to the title of this theme with a concealed carry permit is in the United States, we have this thing called open carry. Okay. So that means that if someone walks around the streets, street, I mean, sublet, uh, sidewalk, public view, all that kind of stuff, you can have a firearm on your hip as long as it is within view. Okay. That doesn't mean that the whole firearm has to be visible. It can be in a holster on your hip, but that is uh, what we call open carry. Okay. Now, concealed carry okay and there's two main portions of that okay the first one is that some portion of your would be your clothing or how it's tucked into your side or hip the firearm is concealed okay so usually that is you know an inside the waistband holster uh you may have a regular holster and put a jacket on top of it uh any type of form where that firearm is somewhat invisible, I should say. Okay. It's the main, the main understanding here is you, you have, you have a t-shirt on and you have a firearm in a holster on your hip visible to everyone. Okay. That'd be open carry. Okay. But now if you have a t-shirt or a piece of clothing that goes on top of that now. Okay. And even if you may see a small bulge or a, portion of it that firearm has now become concealed does that make sense i think it makes sense okay now the other portion of concealed uh for a lot of states and we're talking generally speaking because each state is different we're gonna we're gonna talk about that is concealed is also within a vehicle so when you are driving a car and you have a firearm in your vehicle for no purpose other than just to have the firearm okay you know we're, we're discounting certain uh, minor instances where we may be taking that firearm to the range or to a, a, a dealer or something like that. We're talking in general layman's terms. We're just driving around and we have a firearm in the car. You would also consider that concealed. Okay. It doesn't have to be on you or in your, on your pants, hip or anything like that. It could be in the back seat. It could be in the glove compartment. It could be in the center console. That is another version of the, of the word concealed and how it relates to the firearm specifically, which is our overall topic. 
Very nice. Hopefully everybody can go out and use this term and understand what it means. I wonder how everybody did with Bolo. <laughs> I, have this, I have in my mind that, uh, that uh, there was this dad somewhere who put a Bolo out for the TV remote. <laughs> yeah, but we, we do want you to kind of respond to our uh, our word of the days and our overall uh, case studies and our topics. And you can find us on uh, Instagram and Twitter, you know, DM us. I'm sure there's going to be, this could generate some questions and we'd really like to hear your feedback on this because there's going to be differing topics and we're just kind of trying to be as objective as possible, even though we're subjective in the uh, specific topics, but moving on. Okay. And we kind of touched on this last week. Uh, Today's case study of the week is probably one of the most, if not the most landmark court case that applies to our job. And it was a 1966 court case. I believe that's 66 um, Miranda versus Arizona. Okay. Which is, we call this a landmark decision. Um, if you'll find if you actually do a history of the courts, the sixties, I think it was the Warren era for the Supreme court actually had a lot of landmark cases that came down, but this was one of them. <laughs> um, and so in 1986, this gentleman, Miranda, uh, gets arrested in Arizona. I believe it was Phoenix, Arizona. And he was charged with kidnapping and rape, just a pretty serious case. And uh, what happens is he ends up t- getting taken into custodial custody. So he's taken into custody. Um, they ask him all these questions and he gives incriminating answers. And what we mean by incriminating answers, that leads to his confession goes through this whole process with the detectives, the police officers, and he's eventually tried and convicted part, mostly based off of the confession that he gave. Okay. They, uh, his attorney or his appeals attorney ended up, uh, trying to get the case tossed based on the fact that he was actually never advised of his rights. Okay. What do we mean by that is, and I'm going to go through, uh, Miranda writes that we have to, we actually have to say, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to presence of an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you by the courts free of charge, part of any question if you so desire. If you do choose to make a statement, may stop at any time. And you ask them, do you understand your rights? Okay. So Miranda was actually never advised that he could have an attorney present for, for questioning. Okay. Uh, eventually the case was dismissed and went up to the Supreme court. Uh, that's why landmark court case. Again, many cases don't ever reach the Supreme court. This one made this report. Uh, they sent it back down to, uh, the local, uh, court system. Uh, and then Miranda was actually retried on the same charges, which I believe were rape, kidnapping, some serious charges. And lo and behold, he actually was, I believe was found guilty again, without using the uh, actual confession that alleged confession that he was, was a given. So uh, it didn't turn out well for Miranda in the long run, because I think he eventually got out of jail and was stabbed to death. If you actually look up right. the history of him. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but in oh. the fa- that, those are the basic facts of the case. Okay. Now, mind you, we're not, we're not law as experts here. We hope to get somebody on 
eventually who has some law experience, but we're just kind of giving you the basic facts and we're going to tell you how that actually applies to policing. So, yeah. well, we actually have, uh, with Miranda, the whole reason why it became what it became was because in the bill of rights, the fifth amendment is, uh, the protection against self-incrimination. You don't have to testify against yourself. So because that's a, a right that we are given as U.S. citizens, they basically told us that we have to advise the suspect or the person that we believe committed this crime or is involved in this crime, hey, you don't have to incriminate yourself here. And if you do decide to make any type of statements, we're going to use those statements against you in court. And we're going to use that to prosecute your case. Now, now we did talk about this last episode where – Miranda is not what is viewed on the movies or TV shows or anything like that. Okay. Miranda is only for two instances, two instances or requirements as part of Miranda. Number one, you have incriminating questions. That means questions that pertain to the actual committing of the crime. Okay. Number two is custodial arrest or in other facts, basically the person's not free to leave and there's information and there's surrounding circumstances that dictate that. So, yeah. So basically the guy or girl could be in cuffs, may not be in cuffs. It depends on if they are free to leave or not. And the circumstances around that whole thing, because that can even get a little bit hairy. Yes. But you can also, you can ask any person, even if they, you, you, they are your suspect, you can ask them, what do you think the weather's like today? Yeah. How are they doing? You know, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, some people uh, take that a step further and say, uh, you know, I plead the fifth and you're like, what? Come on. I'm just asking you, like, how, how are you doing? Uh, because people don't understand that we're not asking you incriminating questions. Now, if we ask you, where'd you put the knife? That's an incriminating question. They yes. don't have to answer that. Or what, or yet you uh, search somebody and they have drugs on them. What type of drugs are these? Well, that's an incriminating question, okay, because it pertains to the actual committee of the crime. But, you know, when we're just talking to people, we don't – or even when we arrest people, if we're not going to ask them questions related to the crime, we don't have to give them Miranda. They're, in fact, it's more often than not uh, that, uh, Frank, how about we, we don't even ask them, give them Miranda because we're not asking incriminating questions. Right. I mean, we're, we're officers out on the street, uh, and for our type of job, day in and day out – we're dealing with misdemeanor crimes and less. And a lot of times we have all the evidence we need in front of us and we're not involved in some crazy case where we need to do interviews. Uh, sometimes it's review the crime. And uh, so we really don't even need to ask any incriminating questions. We don't need to. And because of that, we don't even give them their Miranda rights. And sometimes that confuses people because they believe that every single time you have any contact with an officer that, you must be given the Miranda rights, but that's Hollywood. Right. That's right. Straight up and, Hollywood. But for all you LEOs out there, and this is specifically for them, do try to take the extra steps. It is good practice to become familiar with Miranda. You get to learn when, and when not to use it. And you also take the extra steps in building that case. So for instance, you arrest somebody, they have, you know, a little bit of marijuana on them. They have a little bit of cocaine, drugs, whatever. Give them Miranda, ask them when's the last time they used drugs. 
That's an incriminating question, but it helps your case. Okay. So that's just a teaching moment from uh, two veteran police officers. But anyway, moving on. Yeah, I guess we're getting into the, the meat and the meat now. <laughs> and what, the peas? The meat and the peas? No, we're done. We're done with the peas. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, again, we're doing over today's topic is when or when you should not carry or if you should carry when you're off duty or if you're a citizen listening on if you should carry a gun at all. So, we're going to start off with who can and who cannot carry a concealed weapon or an open carry weapon. So, we kind of touched on the difference, okay, between a concealed or open, okay? And open carry, again, is you're out walking around the street, you have a gun on your hip and a holster, everyone can kind of see it, okay? Now, mind you, that's in the public, so... And once you enter a private property or a business or a restaurant, they have the legal right to ask you to leave. Some people don't like that. I mean, there was that picture, I believe it was on the news not too long ago, about the guy in, I think it was Missouri Walmart, who was like carrying an AR, you know, for some unknown reason. Uh, yeah. But that that's up to the Walmart staff, you know. Now, mind you, when you do that, there's probably a public perception that, you know, either this guy, something's not right with this guy or, you know, something bad could happen. So mind you, when you, you, you open carry, it's not very common. Obviously you don't see people walking around on the streets every day, carrying guns on their hips. So you're going to generate some, uh, audience and people are going to start to look at you. Yeah. But what's the, I mean, what is the point of carrying, uh, carrying a gun concealed? That's so it. people don't. So people don't know that you have a gun. Correct. Because people do get uneasy, especially in 2020. People are uneasy about seeing guns in public. You know, some of the, the shootings that we've had across the United States, uh, people are just uneasy about it. And the laws still allow most states and most citizens to carry open without any type of concealment. So it is perfectly legal in most states to just walk around with a gun on your head, but people get uneasy about it. And, you know, I carry all the time and I don't want people to know that I have a gun one, because it makes them feel uneasy. And two, if there is a bad guy around for that life and death moment where I'm going to use my weapon, you know, hopefully it never happens, but I don't want that bad guy to know or to, to point me out or to have me as the first victim because I'm out there carrying my gun around for everybody to see. Right. Right. It also, when, when we carry concealed and mind you, we're a little different in that we're law enforcement officers. So instead of that requirement for a concealed carry permit, we obviously have our badge, which allows us to do that. Okay. Um, and we're not going to go down the road right now as far as, all the requirements uh, for, you know, retiree badge and all that kind of stuff. And it for anybody who works in law enforcement and maybe up to your uh, department's policies or local uh, jurisdiction, as far as you may have to carry off duty in certain areas. Um, but when we talk about that, we've kind of clarified concealed versus open carry. And obviously more people carry concealed than open pretty obvious otherwise we'd be seeing get guns all the time on the streets uh but there are certain people that cannot carry a 
guns at all. And who are those, Frank? Well, the first and most obvious one group of people who cannot carry are people with a criminal record that uh, have been convicted of crimes that specifically state that they will no longer be able to possess a firearm. So what about, you know, I, I got a DUI five years ago. Can I carry a firearm? In most or all the states that I am familiar with, that will not prevent you from carrying a firearm. Yeah. Usually it's not, it's up to the specific state. Okay. But in general terms, we say convicted felons. Okay. So most felonies will prevent you from doing that. Not all, but most. Okay. And it's up to the specific state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so uh, a couple examples of crimes that would prevent you from owning or carrying or possessing a firearm are felony assaults, robberies, burglaries. Um, what else do we have? Uh, drug. A lot of our felony drug crimes will prevent you from possessing a firearm uh, ever again. We also have some receiving stolen property cases, such as I was found in possession of a stolen firearm. I was found in possession of a stolen car or stolen goods. Uh, and there might be some caveats within those crimes. But for the most part, the states have decided that our violent crimes or crimes of infamy are crimes that will prevent you from ever possessing a firearm ever again. What about uh, murder? Murder? <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the ones that are pretty serious. <laughs> yeah, you didn't mention that, but yeah, I think that's technically on uh, the list as well. Um, yeah, there, forgot about that one. <laughs> uh, other ones, and uh, the, the, the age for the, the federal law for, uh, for possessing a firearm is... 21 is that correct frank yes the, so under federal law to carry a handgun if you're not at the range or under direct supervision at your home you cannot carry a firearm you're you're considered a juvenile at that point or like a underage if you're 18 carrying around a, yeah. a pistol so most states require that you be of the age of 21 for you to even apply for a concealed carry permit and then the other age is 18, and that's for a long gun. When we, when we talk long gun, we're talking like rifle, hunting rifle, shotgun. assault rifle, shotgun, all that. And now, of course, that doesn't preclude those going out hunting, you know, with adult supervision, all that. You know, I did it. I know Frank did it. Um, you, you, you go with someone who's an adult, and you go out, and obviously hunting's ingrained into our history. So that doesn't preclude you. But there are other instances where a uh, – person may be banned from even possessing a firearm. And that is uh, what we call a PFA or in other states restraining orders. Uh, it is a protection from abuse order. So in domestic violence situations, uh, the victim, along with the actual court case or charges, the victim can apply for a civil, it's basically a document, but it refrains from the, uh, suspect even contacting the accuser or a uh, victim and along with that the pfa will require that the suspect hand over all firearms and unfortunately 
this sometimes relies on the police department <laughs> to take custody of all those firearms. Mm-hmm. So if they're a female victim and I'm using female male and generics, it could be role reversal. Trust me. We've seen it. Uh, if female victim uh, is involved in a domestic violence incident with a male suspect, uh, there's the court case that comes down with it. But along with that, uh, the female victim goes and applies for a PFA. Okay. She would get a temporary, it's basically a temporary restraining order. You know, along with that, the police department would have to go out, serve the suspect of that uh, document of the PFA. And then they would be required to take all firearms, which can be kind of a hassle, especially if someone who is pretty gun, a, a big gun advocate. So. Gun ho, is that what you're saying? <laughs> gun ho, that wasn't that gung ho. Yes, it is. okay, all right. Just we had we we took care of the G on the gung and made it just gun ho. Yeah, you, it is unrestricted that you do not have to do anything special to carry a weapon concealed, and then the rest of the United States, most of it is a, a shall issue states where you go through a permitting process, and then you, if there's nothing preventing you from possessing a firearm concealed, then they shall issue you so, a... So, Frank, I, I'm pulling up the website now. And it says the unrestricted states are six. The shall issue states are 35. So the vast majority of them are 35. And then the may issue, which are the most restrictive, are nine. And that is, according to this website, and I don't know, obviously this changes with time and legislatures, but those are California... Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. And Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. We always, even though it's technically a district of Columbia, we don't right. really clue that in the state, but right. that's a whole other history issue. So, and then along with, with that, if you do get issued um, a concealed weapons permit in say uh say colorado you have to be able to figure out if you're traveling to virginia if that same permit will give you the rights in virginia as it does in colorado and we call that reciprocity okay basically is this state reciprocal to this state in honoring those laws it works for uh traffic violations too, as far as like driving or suspension and all that. But um, yeah, basically certain States have come together and said, look, uh, Ohio, I'll recognize Pennsylvania and I'll recognize North Carolina and I'll recognize Florida, but I'm not recognizing Utah's and Nevada's. But if you get a permit from Utah or Nevada, maybe you'd have, you know, 15 States that would, that would do that. So what some people would do is they actually apply for their concealed weapons permit through a couple different states. And they allow that even if you're an out of state resident so that if you ever travel to their state, you'll be good to go. Um, and again, we'll have a link in our show notes that uh, there's actually some pretty cool, I guess, tips and tricks because there's some states that have reciprocity with more th- states than others. So it'd be, it'd behoove you to get a, permit to carry under Ohio before you got a permit to carry under Georgia. Uh, I'm not sure if that's actually the truth or not, but 
there's some tips here that they can, you can, instead of going out and getting 31 different permits, you can probably limit it to about five and be legal to carry throughout the most of the United States. Now, Frank, there are also certain cities that have specific rules regarding carrying. Is that correct? Yes. So some of the major cities that we, uh, that we can think of, uh, one off the top of my head is Philadelphia. Philadelphia has specific rules that they don't care if you are, they don't care about your concealed weapons permit. They don't want even want you carrying open in the city of Philadelphia. So, which some, I, I, somehow I question how that is not a Second Amendment violation, but I guess the the courts have ruled that just the public safety aspect of it trumps that. Which I guess it works, but right. And for those unfamiliar, obviously, I know you're usually familiar with the Second Amendment, but this all comes down to the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms. And that, no, that's not hairy arms. That is carrying guns. Mm. If anybody's seen that Family Guy episode. <laughs> All right. So what do we have next here? Why not to carry? Why wouldn't somebody want to carry a gun? Well, I'll tell you why I don't want some people carrying guns because they're not trained. So if you just want to carry a gun, you go out and you buy one because you're a Second, you're a second Amendment uh, person. You want to you want to have a gun and carry it around, but you've never been to the range. You are probably going to be more of a danger than you are an asset if you have to use your gun. Remember, this whole thing about carrying or not carrying comes down to, one, uh, it's your Second Amendment right, but two, if something happens and you know, there's a mass shooter you, you, you have the opportunity to stop them because you're carrying a gun. Or if, if you see something happening where somebody's about to lose their life, you can step in. Most times, or you should, should all times, really not be stepping in with your gun on somebody stealing a bag of chips from the corner store. Yeah, that might get you in trouble. Right. So, it, we're, a lot of times we're really promoting only using this for life and death situations. I mean, that's where you're going to come down to uh, your protections. So if you aren't going out and training on the gun that you use or that you have, you're, you're probably going to be more of a liability than you are an asset. So think about that when you decide to invoke your second amendment, right? By carrying a gun, go out and take some time, go out, you know, go to, there's plenty of courses that you can attend for, relatively cheap to where somebody can take you through and uh, teach you how to shoot in different yardages, uh, how to operate the gun, how to manipulate it and cover and concealment and shooting and just everything that you would need to know. So take some time to invest in yourself so that you aren't a liability out with everybody else. And piggybacking on that, a lot of those States, especially those, I think those nine I talked about those may issue permit States I know at least, I think it's California and a few of them will actually require you when you apply for your concealed carry permit, you have to basically write like an affidavit that why you need this. And then there's some that actually require you to take like training as far as firearms training before you can actually apply for the, and be granted the carrying permit. So be mindful of that. And for those of you that live in those states, but well, the next one here is, Private businesses. And one that comes to mind because I have kids is Chuck E. Cheese. Like you, the, one of the first on the front door of Chuck E. Cheese, it says firearms not permitted inside the building. 
gold so gold, that- gold's gym is the same way. Okay, so what does that mean to you? Are you taking your gun in there? No. Okay. What if you do? That's a good question. How would they know? They, they I mean, if you're carrying concealed, they won't know. But what what is the worst that could happen to you if you take your gun in there and it says that they don't want any guns in their establishment? Well, then you'll get banned and you'll be kicked out. Are you going to get charged? Are you going to char- charge with the gun? No. Yeah, you're not going to get charged because the it's 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 private property. They prefer that nobody brings firearms into their private property. And that's when we talked about the open carry laws and how private businesses and properties are not subject to that. So they can establish their own rules or private business or residence or affiliation or whatever it is. Uh, There is that rare scenario that you would actually, and I would say that alcohol or drugs probably increases tenfold where you would get into a fight and the gun may be lost or potentially used against you. And that goes back to, if you decide to carry, make sure you're familiar not only with the gun, with the holster and how you're carrying it on your on your body, so that you know, hey, this isn't this isn't going to fall out. I know there's that one, uh, Frank. There's that one YouTube video of that federal law enforcement officer who's like dancing at a wedding. I think it was out in the mid 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 to west, and he ends up it drops, ends up like shooting somebody. So yeah, it, I, he was doing some crazy worm yes. move and it flew out of the holster and he went to pick it up or actually, I think it was like in midair and he yeah. tried catching it. And yeah. in the time of, he was trying to catch it, which you shouldn't try to catch a gun flying through the air anyway, but he pulled the trigger and shot somebody. But why are you bringing that to a wedding in the first place? And yeah, why are you bringing it to a wedding where you're drinking? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem bringing it to a wedding, even though, again, some people may not choose to do that. But if you know that you're going to be consuming alcohol, um, if you're in a state that allows you to consume marijuana, if you know you're going to be under the influence of something, it's probably not the best idea to be carrying a firearm on you because your decision-making abilities are hindered. Yeah, and then... There's also make sure you're familiar with the standard ground laws in certain states. The big one, obviously, that comes a case with the is the Trayvon Martin incident down in Florida. Um, people have feelings on both sides, regardless of that. But that's a Florida is one of those states that had a standard ground law. Um, and again, when these incident road road rage incidents will come into play as far as firearms, you know, and just be weary that you know. God forbid you actually have to use your firearm in some incident like that. Be prepared that you're going to have to really give the all the facts that surround your decision to shoot that gun at someone else or in the direction of someone else. And again, training. If you're firing your gun, you know they, they teach you that you only point your gun at what you intend to shoot, and you treat your gun as if it's loaded every time. So, you know, be prepared to deal with the consequence of a decision like that. But um, I'll just give my personal opinion on carrying versus not carrying. I'm not gun ho like uh, <laughs> some other uh, LEOs are, but there are times where I felt more comfortable or gone to places where I knew I was carrying my firearm. Okay. Just recently, a couple weeks ago, my family and I went to, uh, a restaurant, uh, which was in the jurisdiction I worked and 
we sat down at sort of a hibachi restaurant restaurant and i never sit down in the bocce section i always sit down in the dining room section but we sat down in the bocce section and lo and behold they sat us across the table from two individuals i had dealt with on the job and had arrested and they immediately recognized me and it was super uncomfortable i didn't have my gun on me and i just asked you know my wife and my kid and we ended up leaving you know uh, no there were no issues but i did not feel comfortable because I've dealt with these people before. I know that, you know, they've done stuff that they've been arrested for, specifically drugs, and they're into that lifestyle. I'm actually, you know, I'm trying to be the the sane person here and get out without starting an issue. I have my wife with me. I have my son with me. You know, I'm trying to make sure that I keep them safe. You know, I'd, I would have been comfortable just being there myself, but with my wife and my kid, I got out of there. So, that was a situation where I felt like I would have been more comfortable having my uh, firearm on me just in case there's the rare instance that something would have happened. And I know Frank feels the same way. There are certain places that, you know, unfortunately as LEOs, we can't go to all the time. You know, uh, the local Walmart, I can't go inside the local Walmart without recognizing someone I've dealt with. I will purposefully go to, uh, a different Walmart or go to target or somewhere else and do my shopping. Uh, or we get our, gro- and Frank makes fun of me, but we get our groceries delivered. So, you know, <laughs> that's an easy way, but that's kind of a situation where how we feel about carry. And uh, I don't carry all the time. And I know Frank doesn't carry all the time, but there are situations where we do feel more comfortable carrying our firearm off duty, even though we're not working. And, you know, we obviously have a lot more training when it comes to carrying off duty. Um, and I mean, we go to a, a minimum of two uh, range qualifications a year, if not more. But right. so that, that's kind of an instance of why we carry. Yeah. And uh, Wayne LaPierre of the NRA said it a couple of years ago where he said the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is with a good guy with a gun. And you've heard the uh, the other saying, don't take a knife to a gunfight. Uh, it's all the same thing. And that's, that's the reason why people carry, because most people who carry a gun don't want to use it. I know there's a couple people who are the extreme, but we don't want to use a gun. And but the only way that we could stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And that's where most of us are coming from. In the instance that we could save somebody's life is the reason why we're carrying our gun. Yeah. We, we see all the news all the time about, you know, some citizen stopping a potential robbery in progress by, you know, shooting the suspect who had come into the store and had, you know, pulled a gun on the clerk. Those are legally justifiable shootings where this individual while he he or she may have taken the suspect's life or at least injured him uh they could have potentially saved other dozens of lives based on how this person interacted or the decision they made um and we've all previously discussed where carrying has gone wrong like the federal leo at the wedding mishaps unfortunately do happen but I would say, Frank, that if, if you agree with me, that the vast majority of people who carry uh, firearms do so with the, I wouldn't say expertise, but with the familiarity with carrying the firearm, they do it safely. 
And uh, we're just trying to reiterate to the point of, you know, there are pros and cons to both. And just make sure if you're doing it, you're doing it right. Yeah. And last but not least, as far as kind of getting why it, it, why we're caring, is I, I researched this. I mean, I actually saw this on uh, – 60 minutes. I'm, I'm a big 60 minutes watcher, but I saw this on 60 minutes. I think it was a year or so ago right now in the house, there is the H bill HR 138 uh, in the house of representatives. It's called the concealed carry reciprocity act of 2019. And it would basically be a concealed carry permit would almost be the same thing as a driver's license. And what I mean by that is if you're, you would be issued a driver's license in this state and like, and what if let's say you're, you know, live in Indiana and you're issued a driver's license, if you're issued a concealed carry permit in Indiana state, every other state would honor that concealed carry permit. Okay. So there's two thoughts to this. The first one is reciprocity means if you're issued a concealed carry permit in this state, every other state would honor that. There's the other thought process where some of the, uh, representatives have discussed, which would be a national concealed carry permit, which will allow you to go almost anywhere. Now, there are pros and cons to this, obviously. And actually, there are many police departments are actually against it for certain reasons. And, and I'll tell you why. So I am personally, I'm kind of on the fence. Uh, I think there's pros and cons to this. I think the biggest pro is for the people that are legitimate uh, p- people who are carrying their firearms familiar with them and don't have any problems. And which is, I think is the vast majority. The problem I see is I get someone who's up in Alaska. Okay. And comes to visit me in New Jersey. All right. Well, obviously Alaska has no concealed carry permits, but New Jersey has extremely restrictive concealed carry permits. So I'm going to be thinking that the people in Alaska may not have to go through the same rigorous training that I may have to go through as far as concealed carry permit. So person A may be more apt to get involved in a, a a bad situation because they may not be as familiar with guns because everyone carries a gun. There is no carrying permit re- re- required for that. The other con to, to the thing is I'm actually a bit ad- advocate for states' rights so, you know, I'm not going to get into politics and all that, but I'm a big constitutionalist. And when it comes to states' rights, I believe each state should have their own right. Okay. But again, the pro to this with that is there's nor vast majority of normal people who carry firearms and are familiar with their firearm and do it for safety and feel comfortable with it have no problems. So if I travel but from between Maryland and Virginia is that really going to cause a hassle or, and do I really want to be potentially arrested for not for Virginia, not honoring the same concealed carry permit as Maryland? Well, as of right now, I mean, it's still in the, it's still in the house representative. So we'll see where it goes. And the biggest supporter obviously is the NRA. Yeah. Well, I think uh, as far as, uh, LEO's uh, viewpoint here is, Sometimes it's not the easiest to check other states' uh, licenses. Right. So, I mean, we already see this in registration plates on your car running those. Some states are give a ton of information. Other states don't give any. We see this in 
concealed weapons permits already with different states. But we, uh, I could only imagine that it would just be very difficult sometimes to verify the validity of this. And that's why I guess it would be a pro to go with like a national right. carry permit. But then again, going on state rights, I mean, you know, we're going through this with our, um, with our, the real ID right now where many, a couple states have said, no, we're not going to this national ID. We have our own state ID. We're not doing it. Well, now they're being forced. Everybody's being forced to use this real ID. And it's kind of a similar thing where you wouldn't have states' rights. Well, now we go back into the sense of uh, it's going to be difficult to check and verify and make sure it's valid. And then what about when somebody who has a, a concealed carry permit out of Alaska, what if they now commit a crime in Pennsylvania? What is the steps of revoking that? Right, right. And that can be a pain for us as LEOs when we try to revoke someone's permit because it's uh, you have to type up this thing, the affidavit, and it, it goes through the process. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not done right away. So even though they've been arrested, they may still ha- have a valid carrying permit, even though we don't really want uh, them to have access to to that as far as you know, capability of carrying a firearm legally. But, you know, obviously that's, that's a, uh, up for debate. Again, it's bill HR 138. It's currently in the house. It's called the concealed carry reciprocity act of 2019. And as of right now, I don't believe it's, uh, made it to the Senate, but, uh, that's where it's at right now. So hmm. interesting. I guess we'll keep a, keep an eye out for that as well as our case from last week. Yeah. Too. See what, see what's going on. Yeah. We'll put a bolo out for HR 138. Yes. Well, we're going to have to keep that bolo going for a couple of weeks. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess, is that it? Yeah, man. I, I, I hope you, the listeners are, in, are enjoying our uh, second episode and we really, really would like some feedback as far as reaching out to us questions uh, I know Frank mentioned, I think he mentioned on the first episode about potentially having a mailbag episode where we could just answer some questions, get a different perspective. You can follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and uh, on podcasts. Frank, we want them to click subscribe, right? Got to click subscribe. It's going to get us to uh, appear in more people's feeds or recommendations. It's going to get our reach out there further. So. Follow us on our social media accounts. Click subscribe on these podcasts, and uh, that way we can get out there. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Mm-hmm.